It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to the 2021 first Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. I'm Bill Corey, the sports editor at the Providence Journal. With me is Bill Koch. We are in the downtown Providence studios of the journal uh, in the vacant, still vacant uh, offices of the journal as we are all pretty much working remotely. Uh, Bill, welcome to baseball season. Bill Corey, great to be back with you. Uh, It's sort sort of feeling like baseball season out there. It's about 65 degrees outside. Uh, Tomorrow, I'm not sure what the weather's going to be like up at Fenway. They're saying some showers and uh, you know, maybe around 57 or so, but uh, we'll hope for the best. We'll hope that the season gets rolling. Bring the galoshes, folks. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, you know, Bill, it's it's been a strange off season, and it's been uh, a strange spring so far because, uh, you know, usually we don't have uh, much going on at this point except Red Sox, but, you know, with the... Uh, with the postponement of the high school football season in the fall. Now we are smack in high school football uh, uh, season as well, and it's weird to have these things going on at the same time. Uh, but it's better than not having anything. It's better than what, what we were experienced about a year ago when everything came to a, a screeching halt and uh, we pretty much sat on the sidelines for about uh, – four or five months yeah you, you mentioned a strange spring you know what is normal anymore really uh, i mean what i don't is know it i forgot it's months? been so long right it's, it's just it's just been so different we, we've had to make so many adjustments over the last year plus uh you know i'm thankful to to be sitting here and to be talking about opening day coming up on thursday at fenway park uh, we hope the rain holds off and, and they're able to get the game in um you know but just the fact that we're going to have a full baseball season this year uh they're going to try and play 162 games mm-hmm. uh, there are going to be some fans in the stands in Boston, uh, some more fans in the stands in other places. Um, you know, I, I get the sense that, uh, you know, folks are, are ready for this, obviously, and I think they have been for a long time. But I think as a nation, health-wise, we are getting closer to ready for this. There are things happening in terms of vaccines, in terms of, uh, you know, advancements in medical treatment, uh, where we are obviously, as we would hope, uh, in a much different place with the pandemic than we were a year ago. Uh, certainly. I mean, here we are across the street from the Rhode Island Convention Center, which is a site for the vaccines, and they've got a big sign out front that tells you how many people they're vaccinating. Uh, I think it's today, or maybe it's up to this point, but it's over 40,000 people. Yeah, I think it's total. Total, yeah. It's, it's great to see that number. Uh, and and as we uh, move forward and more and more people uh, become eligible for the vaccine, uh, I know I will be eligible in a couple of weeks. Good. And uh, hopefully you are, too. Uh, a few more weeks, uh, you know, I think society will kind of slowly sort of return to maybe not the complete normal that we remember. I think there'll still be a lot of mask wearing and and stuff, but I think that, uh, you know, we'll be able to congregate more in larger numbers and go to ball games and concerts and things like that in in due time. Uh, You know, I don't think it's going to happen immediately, but hopefully by the fall, it'll start looking a lot more like we like we remember it. So uh, along those lines, Bill, uh, the Boston Red Sox are going to be opening their season after what uh, was really a forgettable 2020 campaign on so many levels. Yeah. Forget about the pandemic, which obviously which was the most important thing, but they sucked. (laughs) (laughs) They did. 
case you don't remember, they really <laughs> were horrible. <laughs> they did. Uh, so there is this sense of um, there is this sense of uh, kind of coming back to what we remember um, society being like, and hopefully coming back to what we remember the Red Sox being like. That's a long way of saying uh, competitive, being competitive. At least that's what we hope. And what we hope in 2021 is, is that society gets to a point where we can sort of reemerge towards the old normal. Um, and we are hopeful that the Red Sox will join us in that, uh, yeah. you know, because 2020, obviously, uh, at no point, even before the pandemic, took us into its grip. Uh, at no point did they put their best foot forward. Um, you know, you start right in February trading Mookie Betts and, and David Price. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've pretty much waved the white flag before the season's even started. Um, you don't trade a, a, a slam dunk top three player in baseball and try to convince people that you are competing uh, at your maximum. It's just not true. Uh, then, obviously, Alex Cora gets embroiled in, in a sign-stealing scandal yep. with Houston. Those penalties come out in January. He is suspended for a full season, and ultimately uh, the Red Sox decided to part ways with him. Um, he is back at this point, but you know, Ron Renneke was given a, a really difficult job last year uh, as the manager, um, inheriting a, a group that did not have Mookie Betts, that ultimately did not have Chris Sale, who had Tommy John surgery, uh, that ultimately did not have Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, who contracted COVID-19 and developed myocarditis, which is an inflammation of his heart muscle. Um, you know, so this was not a Red Sox team that, that you would have expected to see really at any point. And, and I think what differentiated the 2020 Red Sox from maybe some previous teams that struggled is that they were somewhat willfully complicit in that struggling. Uh, you know, they there were some self-inflicted wounds sure. there. Um, you know, and what I hope is that they are credible enough, they are competitive enough this year where they can earn back some public trust because I think that that, that got a little bit bruised, uh, you know, over the last 12 months or so. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, it's inter- interesting you bring up the term public trust. So I think that, w- that I think that, uh, uh, that leads us to, I think, uh, our first topic here, and that's the, re- the return of Alex Cora. So I don't know that we actually really talked about this. I don't think we've had a podcast since, uh, since what was uh, that <laughs> no, we, awful we end of last We couldn't get rid of last <laughs> season right, quick enough. Right. We, we, did, we, did, we, we, we threw salt on the uh, floor oh. here, and so nothing would grow here again because it was such a bad ending. That's terrible. But... Um, so the whole Cora thing, you know, I have to, I have to be honest, Billy. I, it surprised me, it greatly surprised me, because my way of thinking was, okay, so Cora got uh, banned for a year, suspended for a year, punishment for the uh, sign stealing. He was either going to be out of Major League Baseball forever, or he would kind of work his way back to a, you know, some kind of an assistant coach position, the first, third base coach. Maybe he'd even get to be a bench coach again. But for me to, you know, expect him to become an, a, 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 you know, the manager and with the team that he was just with when this whole thing went down, obviously the, the, uh, the crime, so to speak, didn't happen when he was in Boston. Uh, if you believe the reports, they were uh, during his time in Houston. But for him to, to come back and be hired by a different you know, GM, so to speak, or president or chief baseball officer in, in high and bloom really blew me away. And you know, um, I, I think it's going to take a lot for some 
otherwise hardcore fans to just kind of overlook that. I think there there's still going to be a sentiment out there that, you know, this guy was a cheater and, you know, okay, so he got to sit out the worst baseball season in the history of baseball seasons. <laughs> right. Poor guy. Right. You know, and now he gets his job back uh, and leading a uh, what we all consider to be a better team, a uh, team that we think can be competitive. Um, and, and look, I think Alex Cora has said all the right things. He certainly, uh, you know, has shown to be remorseful. He's apologized. He hasn't uh, tried to make excuses in any way. Uh, so, you know, certainly credit goes to him for kind of standing up and saying, I, you know, I did wrong. Uh, but still, I think, I think there's going to be a segment of the fans who are, who are you know, going to be I think standoffish and maybe not so willing to accept this guy as the uh, as the manager once again. No, it's certainly possible. I, I mean, certainly opposing fans are, are going to give it to him. Well, yeah, you, you would imagine yeah. that's going to be part um, of the territory moving uh, moving through the season. I think that's going to happen. I I think the best thing uh, Alex has going for him here is he's been very forthright throughout the whole process. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he was hired in November, um, you know, up until now, uh, you know, he's 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 got a couple phrases that that he goes to that. Uh, you know, sort of addresses it. He, he, he uh, you know, he said multiple times, "I missed last year for the wrong reasons." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, he actually used the word suspension. Um, you know, within the last week, uh, which normally you 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 look at someone in his position and they're just willing to deflect with any sort of language that they can right. uh, <laughs> away from what actually happened. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be that incident or you know my indiscretion or whatever it was. <laughs> right. You know, he just comes out and says, you know, yeah, my suspension or whatever it was. And I I can't remember the context he used it in, but I remember it struck me because it was very frank. Yeah. Um, You know, and I I think that's really important, Um, you know, not only for fans to hear that, but I think it's important for his players to hear that, for the organization to hear that. Uh, You know, you know that there are some guys on that roster who are very close to him. Um, And I would imagine that it hurt them uh, that he was not there last year, um, you know, and to find out that that he was involved in uh, something in Houston that hurt the Red Sox in 2017. The Astros eliminated them from the playoffs. That's right. You know, there are still some guys on that team, whether it's Sale, Bogarts, Devers, um, you know, who were playing for the Red Sox and playing key roles at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that's there is some history there. He needed to address. I think he's done a good job of doing that uh, over the course of, of the last few months. And, you know, I think he's also aware of the fact that he can't control what you think of him. Right. You know, if, if you want to be holier than thou and say he should never manage again and never work in baseball again, that's fine. That's your right. Yeah. Um, and I think he, he understands that he's not going to change your mind. All he can really do is put his head down and do his job the best he can. And you know, through two seasons with the Red Sox, he did pretty well. Uh, the first year, obviously, they were fantastic. Right. Um, the second year, a little disappointing, uh, but still nowhere close to what they were in 2020. And, and you know, all due fairness to Ron Renneke, I don't think this team would have been as bad uh, in 2020 with Alex Cora managing. I think he has... Sam Kennedy has termed it this way. He does have a bit of a special talent in terms of being able to reach people, in terms of being able to communicate with players across the spectrum of the locker room, the veterans, the young guys, the highly paid guys, the salary minimum guys. Um, you know, I think he has a really good grasp 
on his team at all times. And and so I think him coming back is, is really a boost for them, um, something that was important for them. But as you said, as you started off, uh, something that we shouldn't have taken for granted at all because it, it did seem very unlikely to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and he certainly deserves credit for his ability to connect, communicate, motivate players because, you know, realistically – there's a lot of people in baseball who know baseball very well. It's not sure. a question of, you know, gee, should I take the, this pitcher out right now? And there's, you, you get a lot of people around you that, that have opinions that you, that you would listen to. But, you know, his ability to uh, connect with players, whether it be the, uh, the Hispanic players who play for him, whether it be, uh, you know, players of, of, any, of you know, any race, any you know, wherever they are in their career, rookies, veterans, uh, players who may be toward the end of the career, you know, he has that ability to really, I think, let them know what their role is, uh, be upfront with them. Uh, and I think that that goes a long way with with people, not just baseball players, but in organizations. Yes. You know, I think as, as you know, most managers trying to get the most of people who work for them and you try to connect with them and you hope that they respect you and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that um, I, I think that's what uh, Cora really uh, brings to the table, that that's what his strength is. And I, I agree with you. I think if he was there last year, I don't. I don't think they were going to win the division with that pitching staff, but I don't know that they would have had the record that they ended up with if if he was there. But um, so uh, let's take a look a little bit at, at this at this team and and the different uh, players that are that are now uh, wearing a Red Sox uniform. And I think that uh, you know why don't we start with the uh, the first thing that every you know person who looks at any baseball team starts with and that's the pitching staff how is this pitching staff looking how does it stack up to last year's well it's easy last year's was ba- <laughs> last year's was barely a major league pitching staff you had basically two uh. guys right uh who were major league pitchers in, in Nivaldi and Perez uh so this year's pitching staff I, you know Bill I think you could tell me better, better. Uh, you, you know you would know better than I but it seems to me that this staff is pretty well balanced. I, I think that you've got a couple of guys at the at the top in Erod when he comes back, uh, and Evaldi, who I think clearly are top of the rotation, maybe two or three, you know, numbers two or three, uh, or number, you know, could be number one if Erod re- re- reverts to the form that we saw a couple of seasons ago. And then you've got a few guys toward the bottom, like Martin Perez, I thought did a nice job for them last year, and if he's your number four or five guy, I don't think that's so bad. Um, and uh, so they also have uh, uh, Pavetta and uh, Garrett Richards in in the uh, in the lineup, and um, certainly better than the uh, the rotation they trotted out there a year ago. I mean, it would be hard not to. Uh, it would be hard not to be better than, than the rotation you had last year where, where Matt Hall and Jeffrey Springs were part of it. Uh, Ryan Weber was a part of it. You're, you're talking about 4A guys, and, and that's being generous, I, I think. Um, you know, you actually have real representative Major League pitchers here. Yep. Um, you know, the question is, generally, I, I would say, how healthy can they be? I, I think there are a lot of leverage gambles here. Sure. In, sure. in your starting five. Um, you know, you look at Evaldi, Richards, and Rodriguez in particular. Uh, can any of them make 30 starts? 
Yeah, well, obviously, it's not getting off to a great start for uh, Erod since he's going to miss the opener. But, you know, all indications are it's not a long-term thing. It's not a serious thing and blah, blah, blah. But you're right. Uh, you know, you, you can pretty much bank on uh, Nate Navaldi going down for some portion of time this, this season. You hope it's only a few starts, you know, a couple starts or something like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, because we're it's it's spring and hope springs eternal. Let's let's look at it from the uh, glass half full. You're not going to allow me to rain on them, are you? <laughs> well, no. not a week. Not, maybe next week. But yeah. you know, uh, so let's say that that these guys are generally healthy and that they make most of their starts and there isn't a two month gap because of uh, you know a, a real uh, serious injury uh, between starts. Um, I, I kind of like this. I kind of like this rotation. I mean, you know, it would be great to have Chris Sale at top form back there, and I don't know that we're going to see that this summer. Right. Uh, but uh, otherwise, you know, I, I think I'm okay with it. Uh, Evaldi made 30 starts once in 2014. Richards did it once in 2015. Rodriguez did it once in 2019. So some leverage bets there. But when those guys are good, they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, your your observation is a correct one. Uh, Nick Pavetta is a guy who, who they are hoping to find some upside with. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody who was a big prospect for the Nationals and, and then for the Phillies. The Phillies, yeah. Um, you know, Philadelphia gave him a couple seasons as a starter and, and sort of quit on him. Um, you know, and, and I generally think that you know, when you have a pitcher who's 28 um, who goes in a trade, uh, you know, normally you're you're not trading starters with upside who who are in their mid to late 20s. Sure. Uh, you know, that says that an organization has sort of hit their limit with him. Uh, you know, that they don't really know what else to do with him. Um, you know, so the Red Sox took a shot. Um, you know, traded two relievers, Brandon Workman and, and Heath Hembry, uh, and took a shot. On Nick Pavetta and on Connor Siebold, who's probably going to start the year in Worcester. Yep. Um, you know, Tanner Houck could end up making a start uh, on this opening weekend with yeah, Rodriguez having the dead arm. Could be this could be Saturday from you know all indications, but yeah, could be Saturday. Uh, you know, Matt Andrees they brought in. Uh, you know, he's the type of guy who who has made major league starts in the past. So there is certainly depth there. Yeah. Um, whether or not there is requisite quality there to contend, um, you know, these guys that their maximum have shown it uh their maximum just hasn't been very frequent yeah uh but they are certainly more representative than the group that they had out there last year and, and i think you know the players alluded to it at times um and i think we talked about it a lot on the podcast it's just very difficult mentally and, and especially with the conditions being what they were last year mm-hmm. you're in the middle of a pandemic you're going through all these protocols it's very uncomfortable you're isolated um you know it's very difficult in the best of times when you're down three or four nothing after two innings every night. Right. And that's what it felt like last season. Um, you know, the Red Sox offense was actually pretty good, but the pitching staff was just so poor. Yeah. The starting pitching was so poor. They never really gave them a chance. No, you, you could have had the 27 Yankees offense there, and uh, they still probably would not have won that many more games because, the as you said, the pitching was so horrible. You were constantly climbing uphill, constantly trying to get out of a hole. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you know, uh, you're right. There's certainly a track record here of these guys not going a full season. Uh, so we'll see what we get. But it does. I think it does help that they have a little bit of depth here. That maybe somebody can 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 jump in and, and give you a couple of starts and keep you in the ball game. Uh, so uh, you know, we'll see there. So uh, let's let's move to the bullpen. 
Phil, uh, you've got Matt Barnes, who looked like he wasn't going to be able to, uh, to take part in the opening day uh, or opening uh, weekend with uh, a COVID test that, that proved, uh, I guess, later proved to be a false positive. Uh, you've got Adam Adovino in there. Uh, you've got uh, the new Japanese reliever, reliever Sawamura. Um, uh, you've got Brazier. As he's, he's back. Uh, you've got Darwin's in Hernandez, I guess, would be kind of a, a, a long guy. Uh, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, your skepticism of the uh, of the starting rotation is is reflected in my skepticism of the bullpen because ah, very good. You know, uh, I, I still have to see it to to kind of sign off on it. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm somebody who who thinks it's very important to have a, uh, a real solid, legit closer. Uh, and you know Barnes might be that Ottavino might become that I, you know we'll see I mean you know it, the, these things happen sometimes out of left field you don't know somebody who emerges you know uh, Koji was n- nobody really thought he was going to be what he became was he the fourth choice that year I think, I, I think he was the third at least yeah, like Joel yeah. Hanrahan right, in right, front of him and right. a few others they, they were trying to get anybody else they could and and eventually it just he just rose it just to the fell top. to him and yeah. he was great yeah yeah so who knows right. so who knows if you know if, if that's what's going to happen with one of these guys um so you know I'm, I'm a little more skeptical with the bullpen because I, you know honestly I think especially you know, this year when you're coming off the kind of year, I mean, let, let's let's be honest. Who cares what the bullpen was like last year? Because by the time you get to the fifth or sixth inning, it was it, you know chances were uh, pretty slim that that you had a you had a lead. Well, um, and they were just completely overworked. Uh, I mean, well, the right. starters doing what they did. That, that's know. right. That's I mean, right. They, they were just completely tapped. But I think I think this year, if you've got uh, what you hope to be healthy arms, better quality arms, you know, and you're holding on to a a one run lead or you're tied going into the sixth and seventh inning, you know, it would be it's demoralizing when you bring a parade of guys in who are starting to walk the ballpark or give up runs and uh, you know, waste the efforts of the starters. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm hoping, I'm being uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I know I'm being skeptical, but I'm hoping for the best from the bullpen. Well, Adovino is, is, is an interesting addition and, and the type of guy who you look at and you say you know, was last year just a blip? Was it a small sample? Uh, or is he done at 35? Right. Um, you know, because he's been used heavily by Colorado and, and by the Yankees. The Yankees yeah. uh, but in 2018 and 2019, he was very good. Uh, you're talking about a guy who had a sub-250 ERA in, in each season. Uh, last year, that was pushing six. Right. Now, that was a couple bad outings where he got bit pretty hard, and you only had 24 appearances, where normally you'd have 65, 70. Okay. Um, you know, you'd be able to make that up, maybe. You know, you get on a run where you have scoreless innings, and then ERA starts to come down. Sure. Um, you know, batters hit 375 on balls in play against him last year, so he was unlucky right. as well. Uh, now... He's given up home runs. That's not unlucky. You can't, you know, you're going to bat a thousand when you hit it over the fence. Right. But, you know, Adovino coming in, uh, a salary dump by the Yankees, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the Red Sox used that salary to, to take on another prospect, Franklin German, who, who's a right handed pitcher, um, you know, who's probably going to start in single or double A, I would say. But, you know, sort of a power guy, throws hard. He's in the high 90s. They, they project him as a potential starter at some point. You know, maybe a depth starter in the rotation. Maybe they can 
convert him to the bullpen. Yep. Um, but that was an interesting move by, by Boston. Uh, Sawamura is is a guy who um, you know wanted to test himself in Major League Baseball. He, he'd had a long career in Japan, 10 seasons, yep. um, with the Yamiuri Giants primarily, which is one of the glamour franchises in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been a closer at times there. He had a two-year stretch. We had 73 saves for the Giants. Um Koji Uehara is is actually one of his idols, um, you know, and Koji Uehara sort of helped get this deal done for yeah. the Red Sox. Uh, <clears throat> Sawamura was was talking about coming over, and and Uehara said, you know, Boston's one of the places you want to look at. Yeah. I I really enjoyed my time there, and obviously he was a world champion here. Yeah, um, you know, looking at the rest of the bullpen, obviously having Barnes cleared from COVID is is really important. Uh, you look at him and Ottavino at the back end, uh, Josh Taylor and, and Darwin and Hernandez give you two lefties. Ryan Brazier's probably going to start the season on the injured list. He's got a left calf strain. Mm-hmm. Um, he reported late for camp. He had some personal things going on at home in Texas, so he was a little behind to begin with. Um, you know, but you've got some back-end options there. Um, you know, it's interesting to see how Cora will snap them into roles. I, I know early in 2019, he was sort of trying to mix and match, and they burned Barnes out a little bit in June. They ultimately settled on Workman as the closer. He had a great year. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a sub two ERA. Yeah. I think he was ten and one. Yep, he, he gave did. up gave up one home run all season. Uh, and Barnes thrived as his setup man. Um, you know, so you wonder how quickly they'll be able to snap into roles. Um, you know, how quickly they can get Brazier back because I know Cora values him from his 2018 right. uh, experience. Um, I do think that that you're right. They're probably. If, if you're going to be an elite bullpen, they're a premium guy short, mm-hmm. you know, a lockdown type guy right. who, who could, you know, get the meat of opposing orders out, get a bunch of strikeouts in the eighth and the ninth inning. Um, you know, but realistically, I, I don't think they're that bad. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how much length the starters can give them, how much health the starters can give them and, and whether or not they can get them into the sixth or seventh inning so they can set things up a right little bit. well that's key obviously you know if you have a bunch of five inning starts then then you're going to burn out your bullpen pretty quickly so uh, uh but you know it's not not that i don't think they're they're a good bullpen i'm just not sure that they're an elite bullpen and, and we'll we'll see you know maybe that's a move that they make as they get closer to the deadline uh, so uh, let's uh, turn around and look at the uh, look at the lineup here. Um, so I think first and foremost, you want JD Martinez to kind of become the JD or revert to the JD Martinez we remember from a few seasons ago. Uh, you know, you know, last year it's it's hard, Billy, when you when you you know try and compare. Uh, performances uh, uh, from last year because it, because it was such a short and weird season. If you got into a, a slump, it really killed you. Yeah, you know, you didn't have the opportunity to kind of have that second half bounce or whatever it was. Um, but you know, JD and Martinez was was pretty upfront in one of his first uh, you know meetings with the media in the uh, in spring training. He said pretty much that he stunk last year, and, <laughs> yeah. he, and he knew he did, and he knew that he has to kind of get back to what he had uh, what he had done in the past. So I, I think that's I think that's key. Yeah, I mean, you, you need JD Martinez to. I mean, he's there for his bat. You know, he's not he's, he's not a Gold Glove outfielder. That, so he's not an outfielder at all. Right. Frankly, so, so uh, you know, hopefully he uh, he finds that form again um, uh, and beyond that I you know I, I looking up and down this lineup it, it you know it's kind of interesting I, I think that they could be a pretty decent lineup I mean <clears throat> you know you're hoping that Bogarts and Devers 
have the kind of years that people expect them to have. Uh, I, I like the addition of Kike Hernandez. He's certainly done well in the spring at the top of the order. Uh, Verdugo um, is is going to be uh, you know closer to the top of the order as well. Um, and you know I think if Vasquez uh, can continue doing what he's been doing for the last season, couple of seasons offensively, you're going to have a little bit of thump down down the bottom as well. Uh, you know I, I I certainly like this lineup better than than. Uh, what we had last year, uh, and I think it can be a pretty. I think it can be a pretty dangerous lineup. It's an interesting lineup from the standpoint that uh, you know, you're going to have some thunder at the bottom. Really, it looks like you know you add Renfro. He's a guy who can hit a lot of home runs. Yep. Bobby Dahlbeck obviously looks like he he's going to be given the keys at first base, and mm-hmm. you know could be hitting ninth in in given games. Yep. Uh, you know, so you're sort of hiding an, an impact bat down there. Um, you know, I, I look at this lineup and and I think uh, you know at the top it's it's pretty solid. Um, you know, you, you've got Verdugo, who showed well last yep. season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously Bogarts and, and Devers, we, we know what they're capable of. Um, Hopefully they know what they're capable well, of, too, right. and they remember right. that. But yes, that's right. You, know, it's, you never just want to kind of pencil it in. It's like, okay, well, you know, Bogarts is going to hit 300. And, and, uh, that's you know, a fair point. But, but yes, fair. but you know, there's no reason not to think that. You, you are taking a, a little bit of a risk with, with Kike Hernandez hitting leadoff. And, and I think this is where, you know, you look at Cora and you think, um, you know, about his managerial abilities and, and what we've seen from him previously. Mm. Uh, Kike Hernandez is a guy who he knows very well. Yeah. Um, you know, Kike Hernandez grew up in Puerto Rico. Uh, he was the bat boy on Cora's winter ball team. Um, you know, he's known him since he was eight years old. Yeah. Wow. Uh, his father was a scout with the Pirates. Uh, you know, so he knows the game very well. Right. Um, you know, grew up in the game, grew up around the game. Um, you know, is a very instinctive, uh, very energetic. Um, you know, sort of very entertaining player. Yeah, he's fun to watch, absolutely. He, you know? he is. Um, you know, and Cora has said throughout the spring, I think there's more there. What he means is that he thinks Hernandez is more than a platoon player, which is generally how the Dodgers used him. Right. His career numbers are better against left-handed pitching. Um, you know, but Cora's belief and, and Hernandez's belief is that if he was given more chances against right-handed pitching, that he would hit it better. Um, you know, the Dodgers being who they are and with the depth of talent that they have, um, you know, they didn't necessarily see fit to use him for 130, 140 games. Right, right. Um, you know, he is a good defender, a plus defender, both at second base and in center field. Yep. Um, so the glove is going to play. Mm. It's just a matter of where you hit him um, and what you get out of him offensively and, and what the Red Sox have settled on to sort of balance left and right-handed bats and to satisfy some personal preferences is they're going to hit him leadoff. Uh, Verdugo doesn't like to hit leadoff. He, he said that personally. Yep. So he's going to hit second. Uh, Bogarts doesn't necessarily like to hit second. <laughs> so he's going to hit fourth. Um, they want him behind Martinez. Um, yep. you know, and I think at the bottom you're, you're going to see you know, some combination of Renfro, Cordero, Vasquez, Dahlbeck, Marwin Gonzalez. Right. I, I think those guys will be in the bottom four. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you started off with it. The, the key to the whole thing is J.D. Martinez. I, I mean, you look at who this team was in 2017. They were last in the American League in home runs that year, um, which 
you and I both grew up Red Sox yeah, fans. That's, that's not them. To think of the Red Sox being unable to hit home runs is just completely against their franchise no, I mean, DNA. They play, they play in a park that's a, that's made for that. You, you know, know? And, so. and so he comes in in 2018, and, and all of a sudden the offense is just back roaring, um, right. you know, and, and where we sort of grew up with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's a, a big season for him. Um, you know, obviously a small sample last year, but he really struggled. Uh, admitted he was unprepared, frankly. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Coming in, you know, admitted that, that he sort of took some time off when he went home to Florida and, and didn't necessarily anticipate the season starting again. Yeah. Well, you know, it's you don't want to make excuses for guys because these are very highly paid professional athletes and they should know better. But it was such a weird thing last year. You had spring training and then everything was shut down. And then you had of course. kind of an accelerated, you know, summer camp training kind of thing. And then, you know, so, you know, whatever. Um um, but certainly, I think that uh, you know he recognized his importance. He recognizes that he's got to be the guy that that they can anchor a uh, a, a batting order around. Uh, so we'll see. Ho- hopefully, he does kind of find that find that groove again because you know he impresses me with the amount of work he puts in as as a hitter. He's not somebody. He's not Manny Ramirez, right? He doesn't roll out of bed and hit. He 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 rolls out of bed and and reads and studies and and tries to figure out how we could. Uh, you know, you know, improve his last swing, improve his uh, his matchup against a particular pitcher. So, uh, to me, somebody who works that hard at it is going to get is going to get some results. Well, he said earlier in, early in spring training. I, I think the first time he addressed us, uh, he said, "My swing isn't natural to me. It's something that I've created. Hmm. Um, it, it's movements that I've." locked in because they're effective right it's not my natural swing yeah. uh it's not who i grew up um it's not how i grew up hitting right but right. it's it's what's made me a good player in the league sure um yeah. you know so it's something that i need to work at and, and groove in and constantly be grinding on mm-hmm. um and and you could see last year you know obviously the the lack of access to video really bothered him right um you know the the lack of routines really bothered him uh he, he's a very process oriented guy um you know someone who gets there really early uh you know goes through this this extravagant um you know sort of extreme routine in the batting cages where he's hitting frisbees and tennis balls and, and wiffle balls and you know doing all kinds of drills that have nothing to do with just popping the ball in the machine and, and swinging at it um you know it's very intricate in that way and and so last year was was maybe more of a jarring change for him than than just about anybody else on the roster uh you know and i and i think uh you know, i think you you look at um you know just how his season went he started off struggling he never really got it right and right. And, and the next thing you know the year's over <laughs> you know, you only play 60 games right right um you know his final numbers being what they are he, he kind of looked at that line and, and was disgusted with himself and uh you would think that he'd come out this year with with something to prove um you know and that's it's just hugely important to have someone like that in the middle of your lineup who, who is supposed to be uh, one of the best hitters in the game. He just has to perform, and, and the other pieces around him will sort of fall into place if they feel like they don't have to do right. too much impress. Exactly. They know JD's there, and, and chances are that uh, you know he's gonna he's gonna get a hit or drive in a run uh, more often than not. Um, so I, I want to, and we touched upon Dahlbeck a little bit. I just I just want to you know hit on it one more time. So he, here's a guy who can hit a ball a country mile. Yeah. Right. Uh, big strong guy uh, and the question of course is how much do you tolerate his strikeouts which he's going to have a lot of 
uh, for the power. And listen, I, I think it's great that you have a thumper in a lineup. I, you know, I think I think um, as long as you have other guys who are able to hit 300 and get on base and stuff, you can afford to have somebody who's going to strike out a ton if that person's also going to slam 35 home runs for you and drive in a bunch of runs. Um, uh, so uh, my, my, my question to you, Bill, is, is he ready for first base? I think so, because he can play third base, right? Yeah, yeah and, he did. And right. he's a good athlete, yeah. um, you know, and he's a worker. Uh, I, I think he can. And, and that's not to dismiss first base as, as the easiest position to play in the world. Mm-hmm. Everybody sort of looks at it and says, well, all you have to do is catch the ball. Um, well, you know, yeah, but there are times enough. when you, you're involved in double plays. You know, you got to get over to second, you know, throw it to second base. So, you know, you, you've got to range off the bag. And if the pitcher's covering, do that underhand toss. I mean, there, there's some skill to it. It's, it's certainly not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not that you don't have to move over there. And, and so I, I think you look at him and, and the lazy assumption is, well, anybody can play third, first base, so he'll be fine. Um, you know, but I think it is something that, that he's worked at over the last couple of years. I, I think it's been a, you know, sort of a gradual transition mm-hmm. the Red Sox have made with him. It, it was pretty clear, you know, by 2017, 2018, that, that they wanted to go with Devers at, at third. Right. There's no job there. <laughs> there there's really no job there. Yeah. Uh, Devers is not going to be a platoon player. He's going to be an everyday player. And, and so, you know, you're willing to sort of ride out his deficiencies with the glove at yep. times, yep. Um, you know, because at times he can be a very capable third baseman. Sure. Uh, you know, and so you're looking at Dahlbeck and you're thinking, where can we get this guy in the lineup? Uh, uh, you know, because eventually we feel like his bat's going to play, um, and I think first base is is the spot for him. Um, you know, and I, I think he'll be fine with it. I, I think there will be, you know, maybe if if you're a really seasoned observer of the game, if if you're a coach, if you're a veteran who's played a lot of innings at first base, there'll be some nitpicks along the way that you might be able to find, whether it's holding runners on or footwork, you, you know, or bunk whatever, coverages, yeah. footwork, cutoffs, you know, yeah. just the little things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, but. I would look at a fair amount of guys who have played that position and played it well over the years who don't have Dahlbeck's tools. They're nowhere near as athletic. They mm-hmm. don't have his size. Uh, they don't have his coordination, his quickness. Right. Um, you know, just his overall athleticism. He certainly brings that to the position. And, and so I think he gives the Red Sox something to work with there. I, I think that, you know, just based on who they are right now as an organization, their top prospect is, is probably Tristan Casas, and he's at least a couple of years away yep. um, at first base. And, and so I think, you know, Dahlbeck's going to be given every opportunity to establish himself there. Well, he's, he, you know, he's a nice big target, too. He's a 6'4 guy. You know, as you said, he's athletic. He can, he can, uh, he can stretch. He can move a little bit. So that certainly plays in his favor. And I, it's not that I don't think he can play at first base, but you know, it's it, he's a young player. He, that wasn't the position he's played for a very long time, and it's it's, a, it's obviously an important position in the infield. So we'll see. And and again, I think the attraction there is when he gets up to the plate, people are going to want to watch. Is is he going to get a hold of one and, and park it? You know, over the uh, out on over Route the, ninety, right? Over the pipe, yeah, right? Out yeah, to the mass pike, yeah, sure. right. Sure. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch him. Uh, so Bill. Um, I did a little bit of uh, snooping at the schedule here, and you know the Red Sox and Major League Baseball really it's not the Red Sox's call in their infinite wisdom has decided to give the Red Sox 16 home games in April. 
and uh, you know, obviously with the weather being what it is here in New England, I'm sure a lot of those games are not going to be played, or if they are going to be played, they're going to be in miserable, wet, cold, windy conditions. Um, boy, you know, I don't know if we talked talked about this in the past, but wouldn't it be great if they just figured out how to put all you know the, all April games or the bulk of April's games? Either somewhere uh, warm or under uh, under a roof. Yeah, because uh, it, you know, there's nothing more. There's nothing uh, you know more uh, just miserable than sitting in a cold, rainy Fenway Park on an April night. Uh, uh, you know, trying to trying to watch a ball game, but so be it. So the Red Sox open three games with the Orioles, three games with the Tampa Bay Rays. They go on a uh, little road trip. Um, Baltimore, Minnesota, and then they come back uh, for the White Sox, Toronto, and Seattle. Uh, And the uh, rules for this year, um, they're going to carry over some of the things that uh, that they were doing last year, Uh, most notably the seven-inning doubleheaders and the runner on second base in extra innings. Okay. So... Uh, what's your what, what's your verdict on that from from uh, after having seen it for uh, well a short season anyway? I, I know the seven inning doubleheaders were were popular with the players. Um, yeah. you know certainly popular with the managers because you, you didn't necessarily have to burn through as many uh, bullpen arms as as you normally would. Right. Um, you know I I I think. Uh, I think the runner on second in extra innings. I, I'm not a fan of it's that. It's a it's a gimmick for sure. It's it's a gimmick, and you know you're you're starting to you're starting to breach the integrity of actual gameplay. Hmm. It doesn't happen naturally. If right. if you tell me the game's going to last seven innings, I I can manage my roster accordingly. I can set it up accordingly. Right. Right. Um, a runner on second base with nobody outs in the tenth inning. If I'm the defense, I didn't deserve that. <laughs> right. that. That runner didn't earn his way there. Right. Uh, you right. know, it, it sort of breaches the gameplay aspect. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, and, and I would feel the same if they eventually get to the point where they want to ban the shift. Um, I, I would feel the same. I don't think you have any business banning the shift. Yeah, I, I don't. You, you, you're you, right. can't, you can't tell me where to position my you players. You should put them wherever you want to be able to put right. Absolutely. You know, hit it somewhere else. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. You know, tough luck. Yeah, no, we're we're definitely on the same page on that. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see why uh, you know uh, teams should be restricted as to where they want to put their fielders. They can put them all behind second base if they want, and then I got to figure out how to not hit it there. You know, I'm I'm also not. Uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of of uh, the three batter minimum either for that yep. same reason. Yep. Uh, and I understand that. You know, it gets ponderous when you have pitching changes all the time, and it lengthens the game and, and whatever else. But I am I am less in favor of changing rules that affect the way the actual game is played um you know i think the pitch clock is a good idea i think it's something that that they've introduced in the minor leagues i think if you're confident in your stuff you can't wait to throw anyway uh i think the pitch clock is you know i I think guys who waste a lot of time just aren't very confident right they they feel like they're gonna get hit um you watch the really good pitchers guys like jacob Degrom. he's not out there wasting time he's ready to attack yeah um you know it's guys who don't necessarily feel as good about their stuff who are out there wasting time standing there sure. you know adjusting themselves kicking dirt whatever else <laughs> just just get on with it you're gonna get hit just get on with it right right um you know but in terms of of the seven inning double headers okay fine i understand it yeah no um, uh, the run around second with with nobody out in extra innings though i i'm not, not i'm not as much of a fan. a fan well i gotta tell you though it, it makes me want to watch it because it's it's it gives it that sudden death feel you know um 
so uh, yeah, I mean, I understand. I agree with you that it that it does kind of uh, impact the integrity of the game. But uh, you know, it, it's funny. It's it, my eyes are drawn to it. Uh, no universal DH, if I if I uh, remember correctly. Not yet. Uh, uh, next year. Yeah. Next year. Right. Uh, Most and, likely, depending on the outcome of the collective bargaining agreement, but they're going to push for that for 2022. And likewise, the playoffs are going to revert to the back back to the format that they were prior to last year when they expanded the playoffs, I believe. Uh, so it's more of a you know more of a traditional season in that sense. And certainly, if they actually get to play 162 games, it'll be <laughs> it'll be, a, it'll be a miracle in my eyes. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, maybe I should say that now that the vaccine is rolling out, you know, maybe that uh, they'll be able to really minimize kind of what the outbreaks would be and, and localize them and, and maybe make up those games. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, who who knows how those will play out in practicality. We're still dealing with COVID. You you could still have, you know, teams who have schedules get pushed back. Right. Uh, you you could have, um, you know, double headers sort of stack up, and and so you could have teams. I mean, you look at last year. There there were some teams who played significantly less innings than some others. That's true. Uh, because yeah. of the amount of double headers they played. Yep. Yep. Uh, the Cardinals and, and the Marlins, mm-hmm. you know, had to shove in a bunch of seven inning double headers. Um, you know, so you wonder how that's going to affect the schedule. Yep. Going forward, um, you know, like I said, I, I don't necessarily mind the the shortened double headers. I, I get it. Um, you know, I just I I, I wonder how it's going to affect uh, going back to a full schedule now, where you're not just playing the East, you're also playing the Central and, and the West. That's right. Um, yep. You know, the travel is is going to be much more this year uh, than it was last season. Uh, the Red Sox were pretty much confined to the Eastern Seaboard, so I, I mean that's going to change things as as well. Um, you know, I think that's a significant part of, of what 2021 is going to look like. Because if, if you look at the virus and you look at its status across the nation, um, the way it's being dealt with in, in individual states, uh, you know, the Red Sox had to deal with, with far fewer jurisdictions last year uh, than they will this season. That's true. Yeah, they're going to be actually going all over the country again. So, uh, so we'll see how that plays out. Uh, so, Bill... Um Tomorrow you'll be in the uh, the loving embrace of Red Sox Nation uh, up at uh, up at Fenway Park. There'll actually be fans there, uh, which I, I guess for you is is kind of a welcome change from going to a cavernous, empty ballpark, which is what you did last year. Uh, you know, I I never I never want to do 2020 again, and <laughs> and, and, and not you know it, it goes it's it's obviously it goes beyond the fact that. Uh, it goes beyond the fact that, that so many people were sick and so many people passed away and, and, you know, so many lives were affected in terms of jobs lost or whatever it may be. Right. Um, sitting in an empty Fenway Park with no fans was one of the strangest experiences of my life. Uh, you know, I, I went to my first game there, I think it was 1986 yep. or so. Um Started going more frequently when I was in college at, at Boston University. Uh, it was it was right down the block, literally. Yep. Um, the late '90s, before they made the ALCS against the Yankees, you could get tickets pretty easily on a weeknight. Right. Um, you know, unless Pedro was starting, that, <laughs> right. that was a tough one. Yeah, that was the yeah, that uh, was the hot ticket in town. You sure. know, but but everybody else, it, it was it was still relatively easy to get a ticket. It was relatively cheap to get a ticket. Oh. Um, so I just seeing Fenway so different from what it had been before yep. um, and especially since I started on the beat in 2018 um, it's it, it just so jarring to have Fenway empty to be able to hear the players uh, 
right on the field. Yeah, um, you know, just so jarring. You 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 had a lot of nights where you, you know, you're asking the question: Should we be here? What are we doing here? Right. Um, you know, what are we really trying to do? What are we getting out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and that's not an individual question, but as a whole. Sure. Um, you know, of course, the player's job is to play. My job is to write. You know, Nesson's job is to put the game on air. Um, you know, and, and I was thankful to still be doing that when a lot of my colleagues weren't. But mm-hmm. it, it was just such a strange time, a difficult time. Um I'm looking forward to even whatever limited number of fans that they allow back in Fenway. I, I would imagine that um, you know it, it's been since the ballpark opened that it's laid dormant for 18 months with with no outside fans uh, in in there. No, I, I can't. No, I can't. I can't think of a time when it when it would have been not this long anyway. And yeah, so they're starting out with. Uh, 12% I think capacity is 12% remember, right? and uh, then, which, which is what Massachusetts is allowing right. as a state uh, they are hoping that there will be a sort of graduated uh, increase in that um, you know and, and that has to do with case numbers it has to do with vaccine numbers yep. um, it has to do with the availability of the vaccine um, you know as you know we're going through tiers now it started with senior citizens it's come down to 60 plus 50 plus 40 plus um, you know the goals have, have been to just constantly lower the age and, and lower the thresholds uh, and, and I would think that you know by some point here in the next couple months uh, we're, we're going to be at a stage where the vaccine vaccine is going to be relatively widely available Mm -hmm. and i think once we've gone through a couple months of that where folks are are able to get themselves vaccinated i I think that government policy whether it be state city federal is going to reflect that well here's hoping that uh you know come uh late august and september that uh you know the vaccine has rolled out to a majority of the population and that uh, con- uh, you know congregate, uh, congregating with people at like ballparks and uh, concerts and the like will be allowed on a larger scale once more and and there'll be a reason for uh, 35,000 people to want to go to Fenway Park rather than just to get out of the house it's because you've got a team that's that's competing and maybe in contention yeah are you just going to the museum or are you going to a baseball game right. I, I think you <laughs> right, know I think right. I I think that's important. I, I think that's a very important distinction to draw, um, you know, and especially considering some of the ticket prices we've seen on the secondary market. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it's been crazy initially, right? The opening day tickets are, are several hundred, several hundred dollars. I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, supply and demand. It's yeah. a basic law of economics, and, and you're seeing it in action here at a Fenway Park that's only going to have you know, 44, 4,500 fans, whatever it may be. Um, You know, the fact that no one's been allowed in there in 18 months, that the fact that it is still the Red Sox, that it is still opening day, um, has created an outsized demand for the product. Um, You know, and and certainly... if, if the pandemic has taught us anything from an economic standpoint, it, it's that the rich won't necessarily suffer right. in times like this. Right. Certainly right. not as much as guys like you and I, no. and certainly not as much as folks less fortunate than us. Yes, sure. um, you know, and so I, I think uh, you know those prices that that sort of. Uh, uncomfortable exchange between uh, franchise and, and fan, I, I think that's only going to be highlighted uh, you know, more strongly 
um, you know, as we go through the next few months. I I wonder what it's going to look like, you know, as we get later in the year. Will will fans be comfortable coming back uh, as they expand capacity? Um, will the Red Sox compel them to come back? Will they deliver us an interesting product right, right. into June, into July? Um, you know, will a couple of their players be having breakout all-star type seasons where, you know, you think, wow, you know, Nathan Navaldi's throwing great. You know, he's he's like 12-1 and one with a 2 ERA. You yeah. know, I need to watch him every night. Sure. You know, does Xander Bogarts have 30 home runs by the all-star break and, and are his at-bats, you know, sort of must-see TV? Right. Um, you know, is J.D. Martinez back to, to be in the battering ram he was in, in 2017, 2018? Um, so I think all those factors sort of come in and, you know, will determine – where the demand ends up for this team, we, we know where it was last year. Nesson ratings were down upwards of 60%. Right. They were really struggling. Um, you know, and I think a lot of that had to do with not only the team, but the fact that folks had been cooped up all spring in their houses and, and probably would have rather been at the beach or, in your case, been out on the boat. Um, Certainly you know, rather and, do that and, than and not watch, watch a, the game. Not watch, and rather do that than watch a bad baseball team continue to lose. You right? know, and, and what we won't know is even if they were a good baseball team, would you rather have said, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm either going to, am I going to watch the Red Sox for three well, hours I, or is it 80 degrees and I'm going to yeah, go but out I, but with my I wife th- and two kids? I think I would have hung, hung with them a lot longer. You know what I mean? Of course. After it became apparent that they were terrible, that, you know, it did, it doesn't become a factor that you're going to try to work around anymore. You know, it's going to be like, well, I will catch the highlights and read up on it or, or something, right. but I'm not going to sit there and watch nine innings of this stuff, you know. So, right. But anyway. Exactly. So, Bill, uh, when we do this next time, I will be interested in your take on what Fenway Park is like with 4,000 fans and uh, what that, what does that mean for the, for the vendors outside? What does that mean for, you know, do they have as many hot dog stands open inside? You know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Oh, and by the way, they're going to be playing baseball too, so we can talk about that. Well, I can tell you this, just for folks who who do end up going to Fenway, uh, there are going to be five separate entry points. You, you're sort of going to have folks separated into pods. Uh-huh. Uh, they're selling tickets two and four at a time. Right. Um, you know, they're going to spread you out. That that's just in the name of social distancing. That's what they're going to do. Um, I don't anticipate seeing vendors in the stands. Uh, I think they're going to make the concession. As, as contactless as possible, I, I think they'll probably encourage you to try and order on your phone hmm. and then go to a concession stand and pick up. Yeah, um, you know, I know that that not all parts of the ballpark will be open. Right. Uh, there are going to be batting cages in the right field concourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Red Sox clubhouse is, is going to be completely off limits. And for folks who have been to Fenway a lot, it's behind the first base side. You can actually walk past it <laughs> uh, in the middle of games. You, you don't realize it's there. It's right. sort of knocked into the wall, but it is right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, you know, the, the players will be back in the clubhouses this year. Uh, they are out of the suite level. Okay. Um, they have expanded into the training rooms, into what was the old press conference room. Um, you know, there's sort of overflow, overflow players in hallways and wherever else because Fenway's footprint just isn't very big. They, right. they don't have a lot of places right. for people. Um, you know, so it is going to be different. Uh, a lot of the areas in the park are going to be off limits. Yep. Um, you know, you will be strictly assigned an entry, an exit, uh, encouraged to go straight to your seats and, and straight to the restroom and not necessarily meander around. Mm. Um, you know, at least at the beginning. Yeah. At least at the beginning of the year. I, I anticipate that, that they're going to free that up a little bit. But for right now, you know, they're just trying to be compliant. Um, they're trying to be safe. And, you know, they're trying anything they can just to get as many folks as they can back 
into the ballpark sure. to start. Well, hopefully that does kind of loosen up as the season goes on because I think that's a, that's one of the attractions of Fenway just to kind of meander around and get, take in the take in the uh, the views from the different parts of the park and you know uh, the different the different concession stands in different areas of the park. But obviously, the most important thing is that people can go to the game, stay safe. Um, you know, without uh, without a flare up, and hopefully, as the vaccine keeps rolling out here, uh, there'll be more and more people who are allowed to go to the game. So, yeah, Bill. With that, we will uh, put a uh, pull the curtain down on the first 2021 edition of the Twin Bills podcast, and uh, let's see what happens in the next week or so. Any uh, any bold predictions? You know, I, I, I think, uh, judging by my NCAA bracket, I'm not the person <laughs> to uh, be making bold predictions. I, I will say this, though. Right. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that the Red Sox are going to be uh, above 500 this year. I agree with you. That's, I don't know how bold that is, and my, how the mighty have fallen, because that, that you know, a few years ago was not exactly the bar you want to clear. Yeah, you're right. But after last year, I'm going to say the Red Sox are, are going to be at least a 500 team. So I agree. Uh, I, I pay their win total somewhere in the low 80s i think they'll just about scrape over 500 yeah. you know maybe 84 85 wins yeah. uh as i told yanni caracas our, our friend from wpri 12 mm-hmm. in fox providence the caveat there is whether or not they sell at the trade deadline again right because you have a lot of guys on one-year deals with club options uh you have some attractive free agents if they're healthy like eduardo rodriguez and, my, and matt barnes uh you know they could be significant trade chips for a contender if you don't see yourself extending them um you know so if they do sell off that that ultimate record over the last couple months could could be affected sure absolutely um you know but i see them being a little over 500 i don't think they're going to contend in the division i, I think that uh is going to be the yankees and, and most likely the blue jays mm-hmm. i would think uh, so you think they're gonna over, you think the uh the jays are going to overtake the rays this year yeah I, I think the rays you know have lost a little bit um you know they've they've moved some pitching obviously blake snell being traded yep. uh, nick anderson being out at least until the all-star break their best reliever he's got a right elbow problem um you know the rays are are just you you wonder who they are year to year they they feel like a mirage when the season starts then you get into the year and they're (laughs) good and they're good yeah um you know but i don't necessarily think that they're ever a team that you can predict will do really no that's a good point i don't think i've ever predicted them to be you know done as well as they as they've done in those years but you know we'll see by this point you're you're basically you know you would say that they're winning the division just because of the last two or three years on the track record (laughs) not because of what you see Not in front of, of you, team. right? Um, you know, but I, I think the Yankees are solid favorites in the division. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look at the rest of the American League. Houston's still good. Uh, the White Sox are interesting. Um, you know, losing Eloy Jimenez to a torn pectoral muscle is is going to bother them through the first four or five months. He's a very exciting player and a really good hitter. Right. Um, but the White Sox are, are still interesting with Tony Larusa managing, which is just bizarre Weird. to think of. <laughs> it's like nineteen eighty five again. Yeah, I mean he's was, he's seventy six and yeah. he takes over this young dynamic team. Yeah. It, it just seems an odd fit. Yeah. Um, you know, elsewhere, if if you believe Vegas, the Dodgers are a prohibitive favorite to go back to back and win the World Series. Yeah, I yeah cert- they haven't lost much. They they certainly should be the favorite going in. I remember similar storyline to start 2019. <laughs> yeah, so do I. How did that end up? Here's the greatest team in history. Right. They're going to repeat. They're going right. to stroll. They had one new player on opening right. day, Colton it the, Brewer. It was the same team. We're just going to run it back. Yeah. Uh, didn't happen. No. There, there's a reason why no one's repeated since the Yankees 
uh, when they won three straight in the nineties and into the two thousands. Yeah. Um, you know, but if if you had to to put my feet to the fire at this point, uh, much like I couldn't necessarily see the Rays coming in a given year, I probably would have to pick the Dodgers to to win the World Series. Um, you know, I've seen some. In terms of Vegas over-unders, some outlandish win totals for them, like 105 over-under. Yeah, it's just you know, hard you look to, it's at it hard to think, imagine how goodness. a team would get to that. You know, yeah, is a I team going to win 106 games? Yeah. Are you, you going to wager on that? I'd have to look at you know what their schedule is. Are they going to a lot of you games. know? Are they going to play a lot of really you know cellar dwellers kind of you know in, in their division? I mean, the, so. the the bottom of the NL West isn't going to be very good if if you look at the Diamondbacks and, and the Rockies, and, yeah. and certainly the bottom of the NL Central isn't very good. Um, you know, so if the, if, if the Dodgers are playing them a fair amount of times, but yeah. you have to think the Padres are going to be right there. Right. Uh, they're they're going to be exciting. Um, you know, trading for Blake Snell. You've got Fernando Tatis, who who looks like you know the breakout star in baseball right. now. Can he ascend to the Mike Trout, Mookie Betts level? Uh, he certainly appears to have the physical talent and and the game for it. In the limited sample, he's shown that, right. that he can be that type of exciting player. Um, you know, so if if you were to really push me, I would say that that the Dodgers are the World Series favorites. Um, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical just because no one's repeated in, in 20 years. Um, but if you were to look a little smaller, I, I think the Yankees are probably favorites in the AL East. And, and I think the Red Sox, although they will be improved, should be improved, uh, aren't necessarily ready yet to contend in the division. Well, we will see. We'll see what happens, and we'll see what kind of start they get off to. And uh, at least uh, we can say that Fenway Park is back in business, and we yes. can actually go, and uh, fans can go and watch games again. And hopefully there will be more and more fans as the summer wears on. Bill, a pleasure as always. We will touch base again in a week or so. All right, Bill. Thanks. Thank you.